It's been many years, but I still remember the morning that my daughter Hannah was about three or four years old and was very intent on speaking to me while I was getting ready for work. Now, I had set her up with breakfast in front of educational programming cartoons on television, and I slipped around the corner and went in the bathroom to finish my hair and makeup. And it wasn't just a few minutes later that I heard a knock on the door, and I said, yes, Hannah? She said, Mom, I want to talk to you. I said, go ahead, I'm listening. Silence. Well, I was fixing my hair, and so I, I continued on, and it went on for a couple minutes, and then another knock at the door, and I said, yes, Hannah? She said, I have to tell you something. I said, go ahead, I'm listening. Silence. A couple more minutes went by, and, you know, I'm intent. I am trying to get ready to be at work on time, and this time the knock was a little bit more uh, enthusiastic. And I said, yes, Hannah. She said, Mom, I want to talk to you. And I said, Hannah, I'm getting ready, but I promise I am listening. I can hear you. And it was quiet. And then finally she said, but I want you to see me. Now, I still can hear her very small voice uttering that line, and it's stuck with me all these years because it's an important lesson. People need to be seen, and all of us have a responsibility to see and acknowledge one another. I mean, the truth was she was right. Although I could hear her, I really wasn't listening and seeing her and recognizing her needs. Right now, there are a lot of people in need uh, throughout the world, many because of the pandemic, some because of a, uh, the loss in their family, others because of uh, feeling different because of ethnicity, race, identity, or socioeconomic status. They want to be seen, and it's our responsibility to live as good neighbors, to see people and acknowledge them as children of God. We are called to see and have compassion on one another. This morning, I want to continue our sermon series, Like a Good Neighbor. It's grounded in the story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. You remember a lawyer came to Jesus. Now, this was someone who specialized in religious law. They studied the Bible, and they would ask questions of one another. They knew the minutia of the Bible. And so he was coming to Jesus not to find an answer. He was coming to Jesus to test him. And so he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, knowing that this man studied and knew the law, asked him, well, you know what it says. How do you read it? And the man said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responded, you have answered correctly. Do this and you shall live. Now, 
nothing kind of throws water on your desire to be the teacher than the person you're asking the question says, you have answered correctly. And so the lawyer wanted to justify himself and to show that he was the true authority. And so he asked Jesus the question, ah, but who is my neighbor? And so Jesus told him the story of the good Samaritan. Said there was a certain man walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if you've been in that region, you know that's actually, that's actually literal. You go down from Jerusalem, which sits at an elevation of around 2,500 feet above sea level, down this rocky, mountainous, treacherous road to Jericho, which is sitting at around 850 feet below sea level. So he was going down to Jericho. And sure enough, robbers attacked him, beat him up, stripped him of everything, and left him for dead. Along comes a priest who sees the man but moves to the other side of the road and passes by. And then a Levite comes along and sees the man, but he too crosses to the other side of the road and passes by. But then a Samaritan comes and he sees the man and he stops and had compassion on him. He was living as a good neighbor. He was the example. There are three things that I want to discuss this morning that can help us live as good neighbors so that we can see each other and have compassion. First is that we look beyond our differences to really see people. Now, it's interesting that Jesus used the example of a Samaritan as the hero of the story, because the Samaritans were seen as the despised enemies of the Jews. Now, this was uh, something that dated back long before Christ, way back to the days of King Solomon, who was king of Israel. When he died, the nation split into two. And so there was the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judea. And in the southern kingdom of Judea, uh, there was Jerusalem, and at Jerusalem was the temple. And so the southern kingdom and the king there had kind of the rights toward the temple. And anyone from the northern kingdom who wanted to come and worship at the temple only did so because they were allowed to by the southern kingdom, and that didn't feel good to the king of the north. And so... In that region, which a large part was Samaria, they established two additional worship centers where they could go and worship freely. Well, that was seen as blasphemy. It was seen as something that was absolutely an affront to God because God was thought to reside in the temple at Jerusalem. And so to establish any kind of other worship center was was the worst thing you could do. Now, that was about uh, roughly a thousand years before Christ, who lived 2,000 years ago. When my husband Chris and I went to Israel in 1999, we had the opportunity to go to that northern area, the region of Samaria, and we visited the archeological site of Dan. 
And it was one of the locations where they had built one of those worship centers. Now, our guide was Jewish, and he was visibly angry talking about that worship center. 3,000 years after they had built it. That's a lot of time to hold on to that kind of anger. And it was certainly in full force at the time of Christ. If you wanted to go to someplace north of Samaria, if you were Jewish, you would walk all the way around the region, maybe doubling your journey, just so you wouldn't walk directly through it and encounter Samaritans. Now, at the time of Christ, Jerusalem and Jericho were outside of Samaria. And so this Samaritan was outside of his home area. He was amongst people who considered him to be an enemy. And so for him to be on that road and encounter someone who more than likely was Jewish, we're not told that, but we can presume that this injured man was Jewish, for him to stop and see him, he had to look past the differences. He had more than likely felt the prejudice and the hatred all of his life. He looked past all of that to see a man in need and he had compassion. If we're going to be good neighbors, we have to look past differences to really see people. Now we're in the, the final days of this election and the good news is that it gives us many opportunities to practice looking past differences. The truth is, any person we'll ever meet is far more than the label that we're likely to put on them. We are divided, and we don't have to be. How often have you driven behind a car that had a bumper sticker of the name of the candidate that was not your candidate? and you immediately thought or said something out loud about the person driving that car. We can do better. We can see people differently. And if we are going to live as good neighbors, we have to change our language that we use about or toward other people. We have to start being intentional to see them as children of God. Now, a few weeks ago, Dr. Long introduced us to the story of Jocelyn James and Terrell Potter. You might remember that many years ago, Jocelyn was struggling with drug addiction. And in a five-year period, she was arrested 16 different times. It's because she lost her car, she lost her job, and she started to break into homes and businesses to steal things to support her habit. She ended up on the Alabama most wanted list. And one day she was watching television and she saw her name and her picture come on and she was being described as a wanted criminal. And there she, she just changed. She said, I can't live like this any longer. And so the next day she went and turned herself in. She was given six months and she served those at the jail and after that she went into a rehab program for nine months and since that time she has been clean and sober 
and has dedicated a large part of her life to giving back and serving women who were in the same position that she struggled with so many years ago. Well, earlier this year, she had her phone out. She was scrolling through Facebook, looking at the different posts, and she came across the name Terrell Potter, and immediately she recognized it because he was the man who arrested her on so many different occasions. Well, this post was about him, and it was posted by his daughter saying that he was in desperate need of a kidney transplant and that they had been told by the medical staff that he likely wouldn't survive long enough for him to be matched with someone on the registry list, that it could take seven to eight years, and he wouldn't be able to survive that long. In that moment, Jocelyn describes something coming over her, and she heard and felt this presence of God tell her, you have that man's kidney. And her first reaction was to throw the phone down and, and say, God, you know I am too busy to give somebody a kidney right now. I work almost 80 hours a week. I can't do this. But she couldn't deny what she had heard and felt. And so she contacted Terrell's daughter and Jocelyn went to get tested and she found she was a perfect match for Terrell Potter. And so this past July, they both underwent surgery, her to be able to give the kidney and for him to receive it. And they are still doing well. Daryl has said that he now considers her a part of the family. He, she is like a daughter to him. They looked past the differences they had felt in the past, and they were able to see one another in a new light. Now, their story is highlighted by a new organization called Unite. In fact, if you go to their website, it's found at unite.us or Unite Us. This is a new collaboration, and it was founded by Tim Shriver, the chairperson of the Special Olympics International. And it's a large group of people who are committed to bringing healing and reconciliation into this division that we are all feeling right now. And so they are highlighting stories like Jocelyn and Terrell's story, all these uplifting messages of people who have looked past their differences and really seen each other as human beings. In addition to that, they are promoting programs that really bring groups and people who are at odds, who are um, experiencing differences with one another and bringing them together to be heard, to be listened to, to be seen. I wanna share with you some of their core values of Unite. Their beliefs are that everyone belongs. Also that uniting takes practice each day and it begins with each one of us. Wholeness is only possible when we include. Moral courage creates both peace and justice, and faith in a higher purpose grounds us. In these last few days before the election, I tend to believe that it will seemingly get more divided in all the talk and rhetoric we hear 
And there's a tendency for us to feel that that's, that's what's inevitable, that we live divided. If you feel that way, I encourage you to go to unite.us and look at the stories they're sharing. Look at the programs and events they're lifting up. They are sharing stories of hope that we can look beyond our differences and see each other. Second, we need to look beyond ourselves to see people. Now, the Samaritan had plenty of reasons not to stop and help. I mean, he was out of his home area. He was in an area that everyone saw him as an enemy. And so can you imagine what would have happened if he, a Samaritan, had been caught with this wounded man? What was the story he was going to tell somebody? He would have been seen as the one who committed the violence. I mean, heaven forbid if the man had died under his care, he would have been punished for it. Now, also, that road was extremely dangerous. Case in point was the injured man himself. How was the Samaritan to know that the robbers weren't still nearby and would do the same to him? He had plenty of reasons not to help, but all of those reasons were about his own worries and fears. And so he had to look past himself to be able to see the injured man and, and have compassion. We need to look past ourselves to truly see others. 2020 has given us lots to be concerned about. And all of us have lots on our mind. We can get preoccupied with all the busyness of life. But when we encounter one another, we need to set aside our worries and concerns and our to-do list so that we can acknowledge one another, that we can truly listen and see each other. Now, we can do that even in a time of pandemic. You can keep your mask on, maintain social distance, and still show compassion. Back when we were under a stricter lockdown, I loved all the stories that would come out in the news of hospital and nursing home staff that were going above and beyond to take care of their patients and connect them with their family who couldn't be there uh, because of the pandemic restrictions. I was always amazed to hear of these staff members who had so much work to do under harsh conditions, and yet they always made time to connect patients with their family via FaceTime, or to find ways that perhaps they could visit through a glass door or window if that was possible. And then there were those stories of hospital and nursing home staff who would stand in the place of a family member to be there for that loved one so that patient didn't die alone. For us, there are plenty of ways that we can see and recognize one another and still be responsible during this time. One of the ministries that St. Luke's does that I am so proud of is our food ministry. Now, if you look at Meals on Wheels that St. Luke's 
overseas now uh, for a little over a year, back right before the pandemic hit Oklahoma, St. Luke's was preparing and delivering 195 meals a week to people in need. Well, now we're serving, we're cooking and serving uh, over 1,800 meals a week. I'm so grateful for the people who do that program and prepare the food and for all the volunteers who deliver it and make it possible. But what really excites me is, is not that it's not just that all of the clients who receive meals receive nutritious, delicious meals hand-delivered to their door, but the fact that each one of those people is seen. Se roughly 75 to 80% of the clients who receive Meals on Wheels live alone. And in a time of a pandemic, they're apt to feel extremely uh, separated from family, from friends, and, and just from society. And so the very fact that they are seen and acknowledged on a regular basis, I think that's as important as the food itself. Who do you know, either by name or maybe they live around you, who do you know that needs compassion right now? Who do you know that might have a tendency to feel alone? Maybe because they've lost a loved one. Maybe because they've just recently moved to this area and they really don't know anybody. And to be so far away from a place that they called home and they don't know anybody, it can make them feel extremely uh, forgotten. Maybe you know a single parent Maybe you know a parent that's struggling uh, balancing work and teaching children a combination online and at school. Who is it that you can reach out to? I want to ask you to do something each day this week. I want you to think of some person and make a point to stop and see them, whether literally or figuratively. It doesn't take much. You can send them a note or uh, give them a phone call, or maybe while you're walking around the neighborhood, you slow down and really ask people how they're doing, and you stay and listen to their response. All of that can be done in a responsible way, maintaining social distance. Don't let masks and social distancing make you distant from others. Third, we need to see and have compassion. When Jesus told this story of the Good Samaritan, there were three individuals who saw the injured man. Both the priest and the Levite, they saw the man who was injured, but they kept right on walking. They passed him by. It was only the Samaritan who saw and stopped and had compassion. Now, from the vantage point of the injured man, does it matter whether the first two saw him or not? It was as, la as if they had never seen him at all. The reason it mattered with the Samaritan is because he stopped, he saw him, and had compassion. To really see someone 
and recognize them, acknowledge them as a child of God is, is to have compassion on them. We need to be good neighbors who see one another. Now, we know that at times we can have selective vision. Now, sometimes that's a positive thing. Remember being at a Thunder game before the pandemic and being in a huge crowd of people and trying to find that one person. And somehow it's almost like you can turn off your sight to everybody except that one person so that you can find them out of that whole arena. But sometimes our selective vision isn't a positive thing. When we're seeing someone in need and we know we're busy and so we, we are tuned out and we just keep walking on. Or in a more figurative way, if you're getting ready in the morning and you're really not paying attention to a daughter who wants to talk to you. There are times that we can try to engage, but we're really not present for one another. Now, you may remember the mechanics of eyesight. You remember from back in school in science class, there would be a drawing of a cross section of an eyeball. And there would be a tree in front of that eyeball and you would see lines from the eye to the tree indicating that the eye was seeing the tree. And then behind the eye, you would see those lines cross in an X and there would be an inverted tree on the back of the eye. And from there, there would be lines connecting to the brain, which would interpret the image right side up. That's a very Western way of thinking, a scientific explanation of eyesight. And it's kind of what we think about our eyes. They are windows through which light passes or images pass. And it's really our brain who decides to focus on something or kind of ignore it and stare right through it. We have that ability. I love, however, the way vision was viewed in the ancient Near East. In Hebrew thought, the eyes weren't just passive portholes for light to go through. The eyes were active in engaging with the world. In fact, the eyes were like searchlights and they were intended to cast light on that which was good so you could be thankful. They would cast light on the things of God so that you could be drawn closer to God. Eyes were meant to cast light on those in need so that you could provide compassion. We need to let our eyes seek out and see the people in need around us. We're called to be good neighbors and let our light shine so that we can have compassion. Shatara Sims is a woman who lives life like a good neighbor. She is an incredible woman. She's living in a time of, of struggle right now because she lost her job during the pandemic and she's a single mom. Back in July, she and her 12-year-old daughter, Rikea, were at a convenience store. They had just left, and they noticed a $1 bill on the ground. Now, at that moment in time, Shatara had $7 to her name. 
And here she discovers a $1 bill and her daughter, Rakea, says, Mom, you need to go back in and buy a scratch-off card for the lottery. Now, Chitara didn't think $1 was going to make her break her situation right then, and she knew it would uh, bring joy to her daughter, so she went back in and bought a lottery scratch-off, and they scratched it off. Sure enough, she won $100. And immediately, her daughter, Rakea, said, Mom, we need to give that to the injured policeman. You see, there had been a, a police officer who had only, at the beginning of that month, just recently had been injured in the light of duty, very seriously. And Shatara said that her eyes filled with tears, not only because she was so proud that her daughter made that suggestion, but also because she agreed with it. And she was so thankful that that was a perfect uh, decision because several years earlier, Shatara's older daughter had been killed and the police had gone above and beyond in the way they handled the case and how they cared for Shatara and the rest of her children, checking in on her and being there for her. She had deep gratitude for the police. And so as soon as they got home, she called the police department and said that she wanted to anonymously give this gift. She said that she was struggling financially, but she would be okay, and she felt that that officer's family needed it more. Well, the officer on the other end who was taking the call heard her story, and he tried to talk her out of it. He encouraged her to keep the money, the winnings, and she said no. Absolutely, she wanted to give it to this officer because she was so grateful for all that the police do and how they support their community. Well, she got off the phone and sent the gift without giving her name or contact information. As soon as the police officer got off the phone, he started talking with the other officers and they determined that they were going to track her down. And somehow, I don't know, they're police, they were able, after a few days, to finally track her down, and they told her that they had established a GoFundMe account in her name. And the first thing that Shatara said, her first response on hearing that was, don't you think that the injured officer needs it more than I do? And they assured her, no, we're going to take care of him too. This is our gift for you. And today, it's raised more than $160,000 for Shatara and her family. And because her story was so uh, shared and well-known, people not only gave to her account, but they started asking the police enough questions that they eventually set up a, an account for the officer who was injured as well. Now think about how this gift just continued to give. Several years ago, in a time of terrible pain and loss, the police saw Shatara and had compassion on her. Shatara and her daughter, Rakea, were able to win $100, and immediately they, they saw the officer and had compassion on him. In response, the police department saw her again in her need and had compassion on her. And, and then so many others heard about the stories and had compassion. 
when you will let your light, your vision shine on those in need to see them and have compassion, that light continues to shine on and on. We are called to let our light shine, to let uh, our eyes be like searchlights looking for people who need to be reminded that they matter, that they're not forgotten, and that we show compassion and mercy on them. Jesus dwells within us, and we have everything we need to make this world a brighter place. And so I encourage you, let your light shine and live like a good neighbor. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen.